is this SOB? Yeah, like who does he think he is? My thought exactly. Who is this SOB? Who is this SOB? Hey, this is Steve Noble, conservative, Bible-thumping, evangelical, syndicated talk radio show host, and am I an SOB? I certainly have been guilty of that in terms of how I've interacted with people I don't agree with, including my own kids, and perhaps people like you. So whether you're a liberal or a conservative, gay or straight, black or white, a Christian, an atheist, or a follower of some other faith, I hope I won't be quite the SOB you might expect me to be. Only time will tell. On today's episode, Hillary Clinton has a podcast called You and Me Both, and she recently sat down with Nancy Pelosi to talk about the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Trump's role, and of course, Russia. Hey, if you like the podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends and be sure to follow me on Twitter and Facebook under Who Is This SOB or check out the website at whoisthissob.com. Now, here we go with Who Is This SOB meets Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi. I'm Hillary Clinton and this is You and Me Both. Some significant events have unfolded over these last few weeks. So we're back with a special bonus episode I think everyone listening knows what happened on January 6th when the United States Capitol was attacked by a group of seditionist, insurrectionist traitors. You know, I try to get out if the weather permits to take a long walk every day and I was out walking and I don't look at my phone and I I don't know what's going on in the world. And I walked back into my house after the attack had started And my husband had the television on. He said, you've got to see this. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was just shaken and shocked and angry and sad. Presiding over the house at the time that our... Okay, let's just start by uh, defining some terms. I think it's important as we discuss this subject. Uh, Even now on the other side of... President Trump's acquittal in the impeachment trial, I think it's important that we consider the use of some of these words, seditionist, insurrectionist, traitors. Uh, Let's look at the definition of these words. A seditionist is uh, conduct or language inciting rebellion against the authority of a state. Mm, Okay, I'm, I'm okay with that, with a little bit of an asterisk, because a seditionist inciting rebellion against the authority of a state. But I wonder if it's a, that was a two hour Rebellion, right? To our rebellion, most of the people in there were just kind of idiots that were sightseeing uh, aggressively, obviously should have never been in there in the first place. Let me make that perfectly clear. I think everything that happened that day with respect to their entrance into the Capitol was wrong from the people that uh, actually were engaged there on the premises, breaking things, assaulting officers should all be in jail and a bunch of other people who uh, probably... Uh, would be decent people any other day of the week, got caught up in it. No excuse, but there was a lot of that as well. We can see that happen with large crowds and things just kind of get out of control. We saw that all summer long, did we not? So we got to be careful with these terms because we all need to realize whether you're on the right or the left, that we're being pushed, we're being sold, we're being manipulated, whether it's, again, from the right or from the left. I tell my students that I teach civics to, as well as ethics, that you're always being sold something. And that you need to be really skeptical and really critical of what uh, people are saying to you and how they say it, especially the media. So that's why I'm looking at these words. Okay, insurrection, insurrectionist, an act or instance of rising in revolt, rebellion, or resistance against civil authority or an established government. Again, 
I would say because of the short-term nature of this, this was more, uh, to me, in terms of how it went down and the way they acted, many of them on the inside, it looked like a like a 1950s fraternity doing a panty raid, just a bunch of idiots acting like idiots. Uh, but there were definitely dangerous people there. And people, I think, if they had encountered some of our elected officials, that could have gotten really ugly really fast. But did it rise to the level of an insurrection? Now, stay with me here for a second. Now, what about a traitor, a person who betrays a friend, a country, a principal, etc.? Again, were they a traitor for two hours? I think most of those people there, and we don't know exactly what percentage of the crowd was what. Trump supporters, there were de- definitely Trump supporters there. I think a large number. Were there QAnon people? Obviously. Were there Proud Boys? Yep, definitely. White supremacists, most likely. And uh, were there Antifa people? I think so. And uh, at least one that we know of and one BLM person that we know of that's been arrested and and exposed. Uh, But were they traitors? Ultimately, I think most of them would say they were the exact opposite. I think most of them would call themselves patriots because they did that. Many of them, if you heard their comments and heard some interviews, especially once they've been arrested, many of them have by the FBI. Uh, were, were thinking they were doing something in light of an election that they believed had been stolen. And if you have no election integrity in this country, you don't have a representative republic anymore. And if you're fighting for that, I think you would call yourself a patriot. So again, it all depends on whose ox is getting gored. But let's look at something that we don't uh, quite think of much anymore. Let's look at the U.S. legal code. This is the U.S. law. Okay, there's actually a law about um, insurrection. It's U.S. Code 2383 Rebellion or Insurrection, which says whoever incites, sets on foot, meaning gets it going, assists or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof, or gives aid or comfort thereto, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both, and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. People that engage in an insurrection, a rebellion, insurrection against the authority of the United States, even though it's temporary, could you make that stick in a court of law? I don't think so, but perhaps. My point being, always remember, if you're a Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton fan, if you're a Democrat, uh, you're sitting there most likely going, yeah, yeah, seditionists, insurrectionists, traitors, scumbags, absolutely. If you're on the right, if you're a Republican, you're probably sitting there going, no, 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 not seditionists, not insurrectionists, not traitors. They were just pissed off and wanted to go in and make their positions clear. They felt like this, the election had been stolen from them, uh, blah, 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 on and on and on, right? Let's just, all of us need to work on some intellectual honesty. I hope, I hope you're there already. I don't know. And I know I struggle with this even doing radio five days a week, that I often take the position that I already believe in. And so I... I uh, kind of circle the wagons and I uh, share things and say things and read things that I already agree with as opposed to taking an alternate perspective or an alternate look at my existing position. So in this, you're going to hear this a lot because we are, after all, listening to Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi, but I would challenge all of us on the right and on the left to think more logically and less politically, to be more skeptical and discerning and less emotional. Okay, let's get into uh, the meat of this interview, this podcast with Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi. When the really invasion, because that's what it was, yeah. the invasion of the Capitol happened January the 6th, you were in the middle of certifying the November election, doing the work of democracy, following the Constitution. When did you realize the Capitol itself had been breached by the mob? 
Well, we were, as you say, we were counting the Electoral College votes to ascertain that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris would be president and vice president of the United States. So it wasn't a coincidence that it happened that day. Mm -hmm. It was purposeful that it happened that day to prevent us from exercising our constitutional duty to get this done. With two-thirds of the House Republicans voting that the election was not legitimate. And that's really heartbreaking. So anyway, we were having the debate when the security just pulled me off the podium. Okay, now we get to uh, hear from Nancy Pelosi, the work of the democracy following the Constitution. Well, she acts like, and many people on the left have acted like what the Republicans did. And she mentioned two-thirds of the Republicans voted to say it was not legitimate. Two-thirds of the Republicans voted to question the legitimacy. And really what they wanted to do was take 10 days, hit the pause button for 10 days, and do a more in-depth um, exploration, investigation, if you will, of the charges, the allegations, and there were many, and lots of affidavits coming out of these six states. And people go, well, what about all the court cases? You got to realize that the overwhelming majority of those court cases out of about 60, only a couple of them, did they actually hear the evidence. They hear the allegations. Mostly, uh, the rest of them are all thrown out for a lack of cause, lack of standing, or something called latches, which means you should have filed this before the election, not after. So those were thrown out on a technicality not the merits of the system. But anyway, these Republicans voted because they were concerned and we should all be concerned about election integrity. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, if you can't trust that your vote or other people's votes are actually being accurately counted, then who's deciding the outcome of an election? Now, this case, if you're a Democrat, you might not care because Joe Biden, your guy, won. But if the shoe were on the other foot, and it was back in 2016, even the guy that was the head of the prosecution in the Senate impeachment trial last week, because right now it's uh, February 15th, even he was back in 2016, uh, he called out in the counting of the Electoral College votes against uh, validating the votes, saying that the election was stolen, in this case, for Donald Trump. And so this swings both ways, and you got to remember this. And what they were doing in contesting this was constitutional. Now, back in the uh, Civil War days, there were some problems because the South, Southern states after the Civil War sent up some bogus uh, slate of electors. You can go study the Electoral College uh, apart from this podcast today. But they had sent up a bogus slate, a competing slate, and then they had to deal with it. How do we deal with this when we have this kind of craziness coming in from states on the Electoral College vote? And so they passed a law that was in like 1887 or 1889 that dealt with, okay, here's the deal. If there's some concerns about the legitimacy of the Electoral College vote from any state, you have to have one person in the House and one person in the Senate object on January 6th when they count the Electoral College votes in writing. And then by law, they dismiss for up to two hours, debate it in the House and the Senate, take a vote in both chambers. And if the chambers can't agree, then you accept the electors that were sent in from that particular state and you move on. That's also constitutional. That's also part of the rule of law. And so it's important to understand what the facts are behind this as she's talking about working for democracy and we're trying to uh, they were trying to prevent us from from finishing the Electoral College vote. Uh, I, I don't know that the crowd was we don't know some collective notion of what the crowd wanted to do or accomplish. So I think it's care We have to be careful not to speak in assumptive language, uh, but they were certainly there to voice their opinion and they were pissed off. Uh, about the election they thought had been stolen and they wanted to make their voices clear. I think if they thought they were actually going to stop this constitutional process for happening, they're idiots and we should all be thankful 
that the Constitution, in terms of the process, won out. It was just a few hours later that evening in the, Senate, in the House and the Senate when they came back in and they, instead of contesting six states, they only contested two. They didn't have enough votes to uh, win those arguments. And so they ended up uh, validating the Electoral College votes from all 50 states. And Joe Biden uh, was then later inaugurated for president. But they were following a constitutional process. Nancy Pelosi a little bit makes it act like they were not. But in fact, they were. OK, let's go to the next the next clip. So when we got in the car, I said, well, where are we going? Like to another room. No, we're going to an undisclosed location. Wow. But it wasn't about me because I had security. It's about my members. Yeah. And they were traumatized by it. Some were on the floor, some were on the gallery watching because of COVID. We had to have our distancing. Okay, just a quick comment on this one. Uh, Nancy Pelosi talking about she wasn't worried for herself because she has security. And, you know, when you're the number three in line behind the president uh, to be the president, then uh, you're going to have security. So she weren't, wasn't worried about herself. But then she said she was worried about her members. Now, this is just a little note, little side note, because I struggle with this myself. As I, as I, When I first heard that in the podcast, I thought, yeah, she's probably just talking about her Democrat members. And then I thought, man, how cynical am I? I'm going to give Nancy Pelosi the benefit of the doubt here, as if it matters that this is coming from some uh, conservative talk radio show podcast guy. But I, I need to check myself because right now in this environment, I don't know about you, but I certainly know about me. I jump to the conclusion. I assume the worst about anybody that's on the opposite side of the aisle. Listen, Nancy Pelosi has been there for a while. She knows all these people. I know from people that are in Congress, friends of mine, that the the general environment is very acrimonious. There's not a lot of kind of a back and forth friendly banter that they used to have just 20, 25 years ago. But I still have to believe that Nancy Pelosi cares about everybody in the chamber as the Speaker of the House. At least I hope she does. And, uh, and, I, and I think probably she does at some level. But the fact that I thought that first, cynically, ah, she's only thinking about the Democrat members. When she said my members, she's only talking about Democrats. But we just need to, uh, I think we need to all give each other the benefit of the doubt a little bit more. Even somebody like Nancy Pelosi that's made lots of outlandish statements about Republicans and conservatives, so on and so forth. I still want to strive to give people the benefit of the doubt. We almost never do that anymore, which is sad. Okay, let's get to the next one. Well, let me just say that first about my members, I've asked all of them to write a journal to record how they saw it. I said, this is history. Your perspective, your individual perspectives are a very important part of that. And then in another month, I want you to write again your perspective because it's this is a pain that people will carry. Yes. It's a big scar on our nation. And again, people felt it very up close and personal then. So I've asked them all, I said, this will be the historic record. And so I'm very excited about seeing what they put down there because the world should know. Okay. Just for posterity's sake and historical sake, I think that's a great idea. Write a journal and then 30 days as you process and calm down and, and have and gain some uh, context, then write a journal again. And I think that's important. I think that's a great idea. However, when she talks about, you know, a big scar on our nation, this continues to be the conversation, at least on the left, that's only really talking about the event itself, not really talking much at all about what led up to the event. What could be going on in this nation that would cause 
500 people, 1,000 people, the ones that got inside, plus that was a huge crowd that surrounded the Capitol. What could cause them to get to that point where they would be willing to be violent, to be dangerous, to break the law, to essentially break and enter? And again, I believe there were instigators there, uh, but that wasn't the entire crowd. There were definitely a bunch of Trump supporters there. Some were malicious and crazy. Some just got caught up in the frenzy of it all. And I think that's another important point. You don't know and I don't know what every single person in that crowd, what their motivation was, what their story is. We're finding out more, but of all the people, hundreds and hundreds that got in there, they've only arrested uh, to this point a couple hundred of them. So there's 200, 300, 400 that haven't been arrested yet. So we do not know the narrative of every person that stormed the Capitol that day. We need to be careful not to speak in gross generalizations. But the question does need to be asked, and we need to grapple with that. How can we get to the point in this country where people some more nefarious than others will get to the point where they would be willing to break into our nation's capital. They're talking about, it's, you know, our house, our house. And that's true. And people inside the Capitol building, uh, many of them have acted like it's their house. It's, it belongs to all of us. And so the willingness to go in there, what could get a country and countrymen to the point where they would be willing to do that. And that's a question I hope we'll grapple with. I hope that's a question Congress grapples with. Because like I said earlier, when it comes to election integrity, if we can't trust the results of our elections, especially presidential elections at the national level, then who's running this country? And if you're on the left, if you're a Democrat, you should be asking that question in lieu of Bernie Sanders, who got hosed twice because the machine simply didn't want Bernie Sanders to be the candidate. So the machine dealt with Bernie Sanders. That was not legitimate. They used superdelegates and other means to push Bernie Sanders out of the way, first for Hillary Clinton and then again for Joe Biden. And again, for all of us as Americans, we should all be deeply concerned about election integrity. There have been people put in jail for decades now that have been arrested and put in jail. Uh, This is this election integrity, election problems, cheating. This is not new and it's happening and it's happening more. And I think when you look at some of the evidence and the allegations that's out there, you sit there and at least should go, yeah, this doesn't look great. And we should be willing to put it up under a microscope and go, okay, We need to know because whether you're on the left or the right, again, if our elections are not being decided purely by the will of the people within the confines of the Electoral College, then who's deciding them? And if it's not us, then it's an oligarchy, which is a government controlled by a very small, very powerful group of people, which is where I think we're at today. But for us as U.S. citizens, just little plebeians out here, we should all be taking note that that's really the driving factor behind what happened on January 6th. And that absolutely should be investigated to the fullest extent. And we should all be worried about it. Okay, let's move on. Now, there's one other element that I have been talking about for a long time that gives me great grief as a Catholic. I think that Donald Trump is president because of the a woman's right to choose. Mm -hmm. When he signed that paper saying, these are the judges that I will appoint, that was the dog whistle to the evangelicals, to the Catholics and all the rest. A woman will not have the right to choose. And when you see the polls about impeachment now, 80% think what happened was wrong. 70-some percent said he's responsible, but 40-some percent don't think he should be impeached. Well, why? One issue. Abortion. Right. And that is that is enough. When you take the greed of those who want their tax cut, that's a, probably a small number, but nonetheless, a number. 
and then you take the abortion issue. And many of these people are um, very good people. That's just their point of view. But they are willing to sell the whole democracy down the river for that one issue. Okay. <laughs> okay. As a very conservative, evangelical, major pro-life person, this one really gets my goat. Okay. So here's Nancy Pelosi, who... Uh, claims to be a devout Catholic. The Catholic Church very clear on its anti-abortion stance. And so it's interesting that she's bringing out uh, Catholicism, but talking about abortion and, and uh, frankly, as a, as a pro-life Christian, remarkably condescending for her to say, you know, Trump puts out his list of certain judges, pro-life judges most likely. Uh, and that's a quote, a dog whistle unquote, to pro-lifers, I guess, like me, a dog whistle. Hey, everybody. Hey, you idiots. You bunch of animals. You bunch of dumbos. I put some uh, judges on a list here that I want to uh, elevate to the federal bench as well as the Supreme Court uh, bench if I get a if I get a chance. So uh, come on over here, you dumb little dogs, and come follow me. It's so condescending and uh, and so arrogant. It's just remarkable that she is comfortable talking about people that care about unborn lives more than she does. And for her as a Catholic to take that position, and she goes on in this podcast and talks about most of her family disagrees with her and praise the Lord for it. If you're going to call yourself a Catholic or a Christian, you really have no room here uh, on the abortion issue. You can talk about the legality and all that stuff. We can get into that. But if you're a Christian, you should be pro-life. The Bible is pro-life and abundantly so. So you really can't support abortion at any level to be consistent with Christianity. But then she goes even further. At that, She was teeing me up on that one. But then she said, you know, what's the one reason, the one issue that they think he should not be impeached? Abortion? That, that's the one issue? Don't impeach the president for inciting a crowd and insurrection because of abortion. Because he put three most likely pro-life judges on the Supreme Court and numerous hundreds on the federal court. So don't impeach him. Ignore uh, any evidence, any impeachable charges. Ignore it because of abortion. No, a lot of people, I don't believe he should have been impeached because I don't believe legally it rises to the level of incitement, which is, there's also a U.S. code for that, nor insurrection. I don't think it rises to the legal level. But remember... A, an impeachment, quote unquote, trial is not a trial. It's not a judicial hearing. It's outside of the judicial branch. It's a political proceeding. But to boil that all down, that people, Trump supporters that didn't think he should be impeached, the only reason is because of abortion? That's so simple-minded and so inaccurate of Nancy Pelosi and so um, just kind of degrading and insulting, at least to somebody like me and a lot of pro-life conservatives and you go, hey, Steve, were you for the impeachment? No, I think that it's not even constitutional because now we're talking about a former president and impeachment is there to deal with current office holders. I don't think it was constitutional and I don't think it rises to the level of incitement or insurrection by the U.S. code, which should matter. Uh, what about abortion? I would say, well, what about it? What does that have to do with this? These are two different issues. Hey, hey, Speaker Pelosi, believe it or not, me as a Bible-thumping, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, pro-life Christian... I can actually walk and chew gum at the same time. Man, that was insulting. All right, let's move on. And you know, one of the terrible ironies of their position is that starting in the 90s under Democratic presidents, the abortion rate went way down. Right. And with proper 
contraception and education and stigma-free conversation, the numbers can continue to go way down. So what's really incredibly sad is how those who, in my opinion and experience, do not view this issue as a priority have used the legitimate questions, concerns, and yes, uh, understanding of faith to obtain and use power. When we said then was if you reject terminating a pregnancy, you should love contraception. That's right. And again, there's a great deal of hypocrisy here because many of these people, of course, are not having 13 children. That's and right. As, as, one, <laughs> as somebody who had five children almost exactly to the day in six years, I've said to my colleagues, when you have five children in six years, you come around and talk to me. As a Catholic, I, you know, I come from a family that is, would like to see me soften my message on this mm-hmm. subject, but they know this is something I am all the way with. And and so I understand and I respect their point of view for them. Right. But that doesn't mean it's a point of view for somebody else. Right. And your overall point is, you know, let's have a true economic safety net. Let's have a true jobs program, including an infrastructure program, which I know is at the heart of your commitment uh, to the future. Let's have a healthcare system that covers everyone with quality, affordable healthcare, and then let's talk. (laughs) I I think first things first. Okay. All right. (laughs) Here we go again. All right. Let's, let's, let's talk about Hillary first. I want to talk about Hillary first and then Nancy's comments uh, backed up by Hillary's cackling in the background. Anyway, Hillary talking about terrible irony still on the abortion thing that uh, even with Democrat presidents, uh, abortion rates have gone down, which is true. And there's a great article, I talked about it recently in my radio show, that considers all the different factors as why have abortion rates peaked at, at in about 1992 at 1.6 million. And then ever since, it's been going down. Whether you have Republican or Democrat presidents, they continue to trend down. And as a pro-life Christian, I say, praise the Lord for that. That's great. The question is why? Now, they talk about, they're going to always talk about this is generally what happens. Not always, but usually. They're going to talk about contraceptive and, and contraception and contraceptives and um comprehensive sex education and those things, which there's an argument to be made there. But one of the big reasons abortion has been coming down since 1992 is the advent of technology, the technology of ultrasound. So in 1973 with Roe versus Wade, ultrasound wasn't a thing. They could maybe hear a heartbeat, but you weren't seeing anything. It was like a blob and that was convenient. But as technology increased, now there's no question over the last 15, 20 years, you get ultrasound, you get 3D ultrasound. Now everybody knows. It's very obvious, even at 10 weeks. Well, what are those? Those are fingers. What are they attached to? Hands. What are they attached to? Forearm. What's the forearm attached to? That's an elbow. What's the, what's the elbow attached to? Well, the upper arm and then the shoulder and then a neck and then two eyes and a nose and a mouth and two ears and uh, fingers, toes, knees, the whole nine, right? So now nobody, because of technology, can deny that that's a human child, all right? So that's one of the big reasons that abortion rates have come down. Plus some other things to which I say, praise the Lord. And so I, I, I'm glad that she brought that up and recognized it. And another thing that I'm going to agree with here on, on Hillary's comments, when she talked about it was sad that people have used this, meaning abortion and abortion policy, to obtain and use power. And that's my problem with a whole lot of Republicans over the last several decades up in Washington, D.C. They're certainly going to raise money off the pro-life issue. They're going to trumpet it. They're going to chime in about it and talk about how they're pro-life. And that's the number one thing, yada, yada, yada. But what do they do? I mean, even when Trump first got in, 
he had Republicans in charge in, in the House for his first two years. So the Republicans ran the House and the Senate plus Trump in the White House, and they could have defund Planned Parenthood, but they didn't. And this both sides do this. Uh, they'd rather have the issue than the solution because the issue allows them to raise money and it gives them another bat to use against their competitors on the other side of the aisle. And that's that's just kind of the swamp. That's like uh, the status quo. That's the way politics works. So I agree uh, with Hillary Clinton, 100%. That is sad. It's disgusting to me that people have used it, just giving it lip service in order to raise money. They ultimately really don't care about the issue. And that's true on both sides of the aisle. Now to Nancy's point. Uh, and then she's like, listen, if you don't have 13 kids, essentially you need to shut up. You're, a, you're guilty of hypocrisy. What? It's so if I don't have 13 kids or 10 kids or five kids like she does, I'm no longer allowed to talk about a clearly defined moral issue. What is that? What kind of thinking is that other than pride and kind of elitism? Hey, if you don't, I had five kids in six years. So if you do that, then you can come talk to me about this issue. But otherwise, keep your mouth shut. I mean, that's so ridiculous. I hope you see that, especially if you're not a conservative like me. If you're on the other side of the aisle, I hope you see that, hey, you shouldn't uh, be able to talk about the horrific nature of rape unless you've been raped. No. And men should be speaking out about rape as well. We speak about these issues, whether you're a male or female experienced it or haven't, because these are clear moral issues that we as human beings should care about. So whether I have 13 kids, five kids, one kid or no kid, my voice on an issue, especially as important as abortion, matters and I have a right to it. Are you telling me, ma'am, Madam Speaker, that uh, I don't have a First Amendment right if I don't have 13 kids or five like you and had five kids in six years and I'm a woman? I don't have a right. I just need to sit down and shut up. No, that's not America. That's not right. That's not freedom. That's not liberty. Let's move on to another clip. We learned a lot about our system of government over the last four years with uh, a president who disdains democracy and, as you have said numerous times, has other agendas. What they all are, I don't think we yet know. I hope historically we will find out who he's beholden to, who pulls his strings. Uh, I would love to see his phone records to see whether he was talking to Putin the day that uh, the insurgents mm -hmm. uh, invaded our capital. But we now know that not just him, but his enablers, his accomplices, his cult members have the same disregard for democracy. Well, okay, I'm going to try to be as uh, respectful as I can here. Um, but to hear Hillary Clinton talk about Russia almost uh, four and a half years after <laughs> the presidential election competition she was in with uh President Trump is rather amusing. I mean, that's just uh, an amazing thought. Okay, you know what? They did do an investigation, Hillary. Do you recall? We spent millions of dollars <clears throat> and months and months and months of an investigation to find out about Donald Trump's alleged ties to Russia. And then what we found out and what we're going to continue to find out is that uh, the problem wasn't Russia. The problem was the American Department of Justice, as well as your campaign, ma'am, who cooked up and paid for the fake steel dossier and all that other garbage. So here is a woman who apparently uh, cannot get over her loss to somebody like Donald Trump. So the fact that she's continuing to talk about Russia and who pulls his strings and was he on the phone with Putin 
The day of the Capitol invasion on January 6th is just remarkable. It's just a scream, sore loser, and and uh, just kind of delusional to me. And then it's it's interesting. And then, of course, if you go on and listen to the podcast, Nancy Pelosi was right there with her. And it's kind of funny to me anyway, that uh, Hillary Clinton wants to listen and check out Donald Trump's phone records from that day. (laughs) It's coming from the woman that uh, destroyed her own uh, server and bleach bit and a hammer and disappearing emails. Uh, It's just the hilarity of that. It just goes beyond description. Anyway, and then the other thing, uh, a president who disdains democracy. Now, let me step back here for a second and say one of the problems with the presidency in general is it has gotten uh, far too powerful. But as our nation over the last 200 years has passed more and more laws, that's the legislative branch. The executive branch is responsible for implementing and overseeing those laws. So the more the government has gotten involved in every nook and cranny of American life, both as, in, both as individuals and as a culture, as a society and the economy and the business world, individual businesses and industries, then the president, the, the executive branch has gotten bigger and more powerful. And, and most presidents, look at where we're at right now. I mean, I'm recording this on February 15th and Joe Biden to date in less than a month has set an absolute record for executive action, signing executive order after executive order, 52 as of the end of last week. And that's somebody who apparently disdains democracy as well. This is a problem on both sides of the aisle. And just like I always, just so you know, full disclosure, my blood would boil And I would always get upset when either Donald Trump himself talked about running the country or Trump fans would be like, he's doing a great job at running the country. I'm like, the president of the United States doesn't run the country. He runs one third of the federal government in terms of branches, uh, but a whole lot more than that in terms of power, which is part of the problem. But anyway, to hear Hillary talking about this was just uh, unbelievable to me, but uh, at least she's... (laughs) Consistent. Okay, let's go to the very last, uh, the very last clip from the Hillary Nancy conversation, and then we'll wrap it up. Do you think we need a, a 9/11 type commission to investigate and report everything that they can pull together and explain what happened? I do. Uh, let me again uh, to your point of who is he beholden to? As I've said over and over, as I said to him in that picture with my blue suit. Right. As I was leaving, what I was saying to him as I was pointing rudely at him, with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. I don't know what Putin has on him politically, financially, or personally. But what happened last week was a gift to Putin because Putin wants to undermine democracy in our country and throughout the world. And these people, unbeknownst to them maybe, are Putin puppets. They were doing Putin's business when they did that at the incitement of an insurrection by the president of the United States. Okay, so here we are, uh, like I mentioned before, Nancy jumping on board, all about uh, Putin, who is he beholden to? And by the way, when Hillary mentioned the 9-11 commission and Nancy Pelosi agreed with that, I'm going to throw my vote in there as well. I think we should have a 9-11 style commission to look into it. The problem is, can we trust them? Is is there any way on God's green earth that that could actually be a nonpartisan commission to actually look at, uh, like, for example, Nancy Pelosi. What did she know and when did she know it? 
if she knew this stuff was coming and this was going to be a problem on January 6th, why did they not, for example, take uh, President Trump up on his offer to send 10,000 National Guard troops there in advance of all this mess? So uh, I'm totally with them on that one. I think there needs to be a 9-11 commission, and I wholeheartedly agree and give two thumbs up to that idea. Okay, so back to Putin, and all roads lead to Putin, and, the, and January 6th was a gift to Putin, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're all just Putin puppets. Here's the big problem with that. I, they want to be obsessed about Putin. That's fine. But if you obsess about Putin, you're actually ignoring the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And the 800-pound ground, ground, gorilla in the room is not Vladimir Putin, and it's not Russia. It's President Xi and China. That's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Now, maybe they don't want to deal with China because China was in bed to a certain extent with the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation. And then the Bidens obviously have all kinds of entanglements with China. And the fact that they're talking about Putin versus China, Putin is nothing compared to uh, President Xi of China. Russia is nothing compared to the power and authority and influence of China all around the world. China is the threat, not Putin. China is the threat, not Russia. So the fact that they uh, are talking about this is really concerning to me as a U.S. citizen, especially from a foreign policy perspective, because they're missing the forest for the trees and they just need to, hopefully they'll get over their obsession with Trump, Putin, yada, yada, and look at the real problem uh, from an international diplomacy perspective, economic perspective, uh, covert operations perspective, and election integrity perspective, because China's been uh, messing with us for years, and they want nothing more than to see America destabilized and brought down. And uh, and Trump was willing to go head to head with them, you know, and sometimes in his strange way, but at least he went to head to head with them. And we're going to see Biden and these guys cozy up to China, which uh, should set off alarms and bells and whistles in all of our minds. But it's just remarkable that these two rather experienced women, diplomats, uh, elected officials, are saying Putin and Russia when it should be Xi and China. Just remarkably scary. Okay, well, there you have it. Uh, that's the end of yet another episode of Who Is This SOB? And we'll be back again. I'm going to try to do one a month uh, this year, 2021, and, uh, and look at things from hopefully a... Uh, not so predictable perspective. I'll agree where I can. I'll disagree where I must. And I'll try to do that with some winsomeness and some civility and occasional laugh. And we're also going to do some uh, interview style SOB podcasts as well, like we did last year with some people that uh, I don't agree with or don't see eye to eye with and some younger people in particular. So we're going to be working towards that as well. Uh, please like the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, share it with a friend, some another perspective to consider as we try to grow as Americans and as individuals, perhaps as a person of faith. Go to the website, whoisthissob.com, or, uh, or certainly subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And this is Steve Noble, and hopefully I'm not quite the SOB you expected me to be, and hopefully we'll talk again real soon. <laughs>